Uh, So keep John chapter 3 open. But if you do have a Bible, what I'd love you to do is actually to go to the end of John and I just want us to remind ourselves of something we saw uh, two weeks ago in week one. Uh, Because this semester, as you might know, uh, we're actually looking at John's Gospel. We're looking at stories in Jesus' life, interactions, encounters that he has with people. And John has written down this biography of Jesus for a very important and quite specific reason. So in John chapter 20 and verse 31, if you want to jump over there, John chapter 20 and verse 31, if you've got a highlighter, if you've got a pencil, you might want to highlight this. It's a key verse. John says this, he says, These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See there, John writes with a really particular purpose. John writes his story of Jesus. He's written this book that we have in front of us that we're opening up together in order that we might believe something about the person of Jesus and so have life. Life. Uh, In fact, eternal life is what's on view. And tonight, we actually get to a really key passage about how this life begins. Because you might have noticed, it's all about birth. It's about being born. Each one, of, each one of us here, I take it, were born at some stage. We were birthed. That's how our life began. Julie's saying no, maybe not. Uh, Julie is very unique in many ways. But I do believe, Julie, that you were born. You might have heard this phrase, born again Christian. Anyone heard that phrase, born again Christian? What do you think about, I'll just toss it out there, what do you think about when you hear that phrase, born again Christian? Oh. John, cult. Do you know what I had written down? Loony fringe. That was, that was my nice way of saying cult. What about anyone else? Tautology. We're going there. Thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah, Ryan's ahead of me already, but that's cool. Um, sometimes when we when we hear the word born again Christian, we kind of think that that's a type of Christian or a kind of Christian. Uh, We think a born-again Christian is maybe a narrow kind or a a really kind of conservative or a dogmatic kind, kind of the cultish kind of fringe person. Actually, what Jesus says here, you might have noticed, in fact, have a look at um, John chapter 3, because three times Jesus says very clearly that if you are a Christian, if you're going to be a Christian, you must be born again. There's no such thing as a non-born-again Christian, right? Have a look. Uh, In verse 3, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. Verse 5, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom. And in verse 7, very clearly, you must be born again. Do you hear that from the lips of Jesus? You must be born again. If you're going to become a Christian, you must be born again. So I reckon, actually, we ought to just get rid of this whole phrase, born-again Christian, right? Because it's like saying, gee, that's a really good ATM machine. Who says that? ATM machine. You've already got the M, you don't need the extra word. Or it's like saying, uh, that's a really good Apple iPhone you have there. Does anyone say that? No, right? You just say it's an iPhone because we all know that iPhones belong to Apple. That's just what they are. If you're a Christian, you are born again. If you're born again, you're a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not born again. That's what Jesus is saying. So have a look again. You must be born again, Jesus says in verse 7. And the question I guess we need to ask is why is Jesus so emphatic about that? Why is he so deliberate in telling us these things? In fact, why? 
must we be born again? Well, look again at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you know what that means? That means that if you want life after death, if you want to be with God in his kingdom in heaven forever, the only way that can happen, the only way you can have that eternal life is if you are born again now in this life. That life, Jesus is saying, actually has to start in this life. So that when you die, that life, this born-again life, will continue through death and you will have life with God forever. It starts now. Now this is slightly confusing, uh, but Jesus is going to help our confusion a little bit very clearly. What Jesus is going to say is he's not talking about flesh and physical life. He's talking about a thing called a spiritual life. Being alive to God. Being spiritually alive. And I think, actually, one of the great important things that helps us unlock what Jesus is talking about is to see who it is that Jesus is talking to. See, Jesus is talking to a guy called Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And a Pharisee? What's a Pharisee? Well, a Pharisee, Pharisees were a group of people who lived in Jesus' day in the first century, and they were the religious elite. They were the ones who studied God's word and sought to obey it as well as they could, and they would actually kind of lay heavy burdens on people. Sometimes the Pharisees were quite self-righteous. They were very good moral people, and they would kind of impose that on other people. But one of the things we need to notice about the Pharisees is that when it came to what they thought of the kingdom of God, what they thought about salvation and heaven and life after death, they actually believed two things. One, they believed that they were absolutely going to make it to the kingdom because they were Jews, because they were descendants of Abraham by race. Their racial heritage, they said, was what qualified them. But number two, they were very good. They had very good works. And so a Pharisee would have had absolutely no doubt in their mind that they were going to die and then end up in heaven. They would inherit the kingdom of God. That was a Pharisee. That's what they believed. And so Nicodemus is kind of interesting because Nicodemus isn't self-righteous. He's not saying, I've got it all together. No, Nicodemus actually comes to Jesus. And do you see what Jesus, what Nicodemus says to Jesus in verse 2? Verse 2, I'll just read it out. He says, Rabbi, that is teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus comes and he pretty much goes, Jesus, you're awesome. (laughs) He does some pretty amazing things. And in fact, those things are so amazing that the only way you can do them is if God is with you, God is working through you. So I want to learn from you, Jesus. That's what Nicodemus is saying. He said, I've come, Rabbi, I want to learn from you. That's quite amazing, I reckon. It's actually, I think, almost something that we should think about for ourselves. Nicodemus is incredibly open to learning new things. He's incredibly humble. He's not saying, well, I've got my racial heritage. I grew up in a Christian home, so I know everything. Or, or, you know, I've been really good, so I know how to do life. No, he's actually coming to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, I want to learn from you. It's worth asking ourselves that question, I think. 
when we come to the Bible, when we come to God's Word, hear Him speak to us, are we open to learn? Are we open to change our lives dependent on what God says to us? Are we humble like Nicodemus? Nicodemus here, he's an intellectual, he's a well-accomplished guy, well-thought-of member of society. He comes to Jesus and says, I want to learn. Have a look. Verse 3, how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what do you make of that answer? It's kind of... I feel like it's a little bit abrupt, don't you reckon? Nicodemus actually comes and he says, Jesus, I want to learn. I want, I want to learn who you are. I want to learn things about you. And Jesus doesn't just say, oh, great. Come on, Nick, we'll sit down on the grass and I'll teach you some things. No, what does he say? He says, Nick, you need to be rebirthed. You need a new life. It's pretty radical, don't you think? You know why I think Jesus is so abrupt with Nicodemus? It's actually because Nicodemus has put Jesus in the category, the same category as every other religion. So when you go and you do the research and you look into every other religion except for Christianity, we'll tell you that if you follow this path, if you do these things, if you're good enough, if you're good, then on the last day God might accept you. Every other founder of every other religion came as a teacher, someone who said, this is the way, they taught you the way. But Jesus says, no, no, that is not me. That is not Christianity. Jesus says, I'm not like that. I'm not going to give you another way, a way that you have to walk. No, he says, in fact, I want to give you a new life. I want to give you a whole new life. It's a radical change. Do you know why Jesus says that? Jesus actually says that because he knows, he knows that we can't actually walk the path to get God's acceptance. He knows that we're actually too far gone. He knows that if there was a list of rules, we would actually break them. The Bible calls that sin. And we're stuck in it. We actually can't get out of it by ourselves. It doesn't matter how good we are. We've all turned our back. We've all rejected God. The relationship has been broken, and so there is a barrier that has been erected that we just can't get to God ourselves. And Jesus says, if you want to get there, good works won't get you there. Being a good person, being a better person won't get you there. The only thing that can get you there is if this life dies and I give you a whole new whole new one. You must be born again. That's what Jesus is saying. Strong words, right? And so Nicodemus comes and he says, alright, Jesus, well, okay, um, how does this work? How does it work? I'm pretty old. Uh, do you want me to, like, get back into my mum somehow and come back? At, how do you get rebirthed? He's thinking very physically, right? Jesus is thinking spiritually. What does Jesus mean? Well, have a look. Verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, physical and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. 
Nicodemus, if you want the kingdom of God, you must be spiritually reborn. For you to be saved, Nicodemus, God must do something by his spirit to give you new life. Who here helped birth themselves? (laughs) No one, right? We didn't do anything. That's what Jesus is saying. You absolutely need God to do something from the outside to give you new life. If you're going to be reborn, you can't birth yourself. You don't play any part in that. This is actually an act where God will put his Holy Spirit into the life of a person and that will give them new life. Spiritual life. It's pretty radical. It's, uh, you know, we sort of titled tonight's talk Fresh Start. If you're looking for a fresh start, you're like, this is a whole new start, right? This is a whole new life. Uh, and in the following verses, actually, Jesus gives us two images. Two images that actually help us see how this all works. The first one is wind. Jesus talks about the wind. He says the spirit is like the wind. See there in verse 8? I'll read verse 8 for us. It says, Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. See, Jesus says, firstly, spiritual rebirth is like the wind. Now, I thought it would be worth thinking about this for a moment. What do you think about when you think about the wind? Non-rhetorical this time. What do you think about? Trees, maybe. Trees kind of swaying, yeah. Sounds. Sounds happening, yeah. I reckon the wind can go one of two ways. One, you're really hot, right? Kind of exhausted. And just, just cool breeze. Oh, it's so refreshing. Don't you think the wind is refreshing at times? But other times, the other extreme, what's the wind like? Windstorm. Bang, it rearranges things. Blows through. Things are going everywhere. Things are moving around. It's wild. The wind can do two things. And I actually think Jesus has chosen this image for a very particular purpose. Jesus wants to say that when the Spirit of God comes into your life, when you are reborn, you'll both be refreshed by the Spirit and you'll be rearranged. Let me unpack that for you for a little bit. What do I mean by refreshed? Do you know when you become a Christian, you hear great news, absolutely great news. You hear that you who are stuck in sin may have been feeling guilty, may have been knowing that when it comes to facing God on that last day, you didn't stand a hope. You hear this amazing news that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You hear the news of forgiveness. Isn't that refreshing? There's a song that we sing occasionally. It's got this great line in it. It says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. That is the power of Christ in me. Isn't that refreshing? The Holy Spirit does that. You know, in Romans chapter 8, uh, we won't go there now, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, you can look it up later, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about a work of the Holy Spirit. And he says there, he says, the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit does a work in our lives when he comes in us. And he says, you who were once alienated, enemies of God, stuck in your sin, are now his dearly loved children. God loves you like he loves his own son. There's no more fear. There's no more guilt. Do you find that refreshing? It's like a, walking through a desert. 
wind just picking you up. It gives you joy. Fruit of the Spirit is the joy of salvation. That's the first thing. But I think at the same time, as, as we're feeling this joy in our salvation, as we're feeling refreshed by this good news called the gospel, at the same time the Holy Spirit actually wants to start rearranging our life. So you think about this for a moment. If what Jesus is saying is true, if the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we're given a whole new life, do you think that that same life, that that life, that new life, will just look exactly the same as the old one? No. If you've got the third person of the Trinity living inside of you, that's going to shake things up a bit, right? That's going to change things around. In fact, have you ever thought about why the Holy Spirit's called the Holy Spirit? It's actually called the Holy Spirit because his purpose is to make us holy. It's to make us like Jesus in the sense that to, to be holy just simply means set apart, set apart for a purpose. So, so the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to actually change our lives, change our, our thoughts, our behaviours, our everything, so that we are set apart for God and his purpose. In other words, so that we would live for him. That's what it means to be holy. And when you think about that, that's going to start shaking some things up, isn't it? That's going to mean that some of those old ways of living are going to have to be put to death and some new ways of living are going to have to be put on. If you go to a passage like Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, Paul actually gives us a list of what this might look like. Uh, He says some things uh, in Colossians chapter 3 like this. He says, if you're someone who is reborn, if you have the Spirit of God in you, then put to death sexual immorality. That's not a part of the new life. Impurity, evil desire, coveting, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying. All those things are part of the old life. They need to be put to death. They need to be blown away by the wind of the Spirit, right? Then he goes on. As we have been convicted, that we need to put those things off. In verse 12 of Colossians 3, he says, and then put on things, things that belong to the new life. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Just see what happens. As the Holy Spirit comes in, he will both refresh and rearrange you. His wind will blow and create that new life in you. It's a process, but it happens nonetheless. And so you might ask, well, how does this happen? If this is a work of God, how does this actually happen? Well, again, this illustration of the wind that Jesus gives us actually helps. Because the wind shows us that this new birth is actually kind of mysterious. I don't know if you noticed it there in verse 8. But Jesus says there, he says, the wind blows where it wishes. You can't control it. You can't control the wind. You can't make it blow that way or blow this way. You just can't do it. But what can you do? You can hear its sound. You can see its effects. You can see who has been moved by it. So I think for us, on a really practical level, uh, 
we're actually planning, I've got to talk about this over supper, we're planning on doing a bit of evangelism uh, up on campus in the SU uh, on Monday. What this actually means for us is that when we sort of look out on the crowd, the people sitting there in the student union, we can't actually go, yes, as we tell them about Jesus, uh, that person's going to be saved and that person's going to be saved. We can't see that, right? We don't know that. It's kind of mysterious who God will save. We just can't do that. But we can see the effects. We can tell who has been saved because in some ways when you hear Christians speak about Jesus, they speak like refreshed people. They see that Jesus who has died on the cross died for them. They have forgiveness. They have hope. It refreshes them. It gives them a joy. You hear people speak about how they're actually being convicted that they need to put sin to death. They're being rearranged in that sense. The Spirit is working in them. That's what we can see. But perhaps tonight you're sort of sitting there and you're thinking, well, perhaps we can see the effects, but Steve, you said we can't actually do this for ourselves. We can't rebirth ourselves. We can't do that. That's a work of God. How can I get this? Well, I think that's actually what Nicodemus asked in verse 9. Have a look at verse 9. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? I think he's actually sort of saying, how can these things be for me? How can I have it, right? And look, just jump down to verse 15 and verse 16. What does Jesus say in those verses just as you look at them? Verse 15 and 16. It's a repeated word, isn't it? It says there is something that we actually must do. You see what it is? We must believe, right? Jesus says, we must believe in the one who has been lifted up. I don't know if you picked it up as we did the Bible reading before, but in verse 14, there was this kind of weird, obscure reference to this thing that happened in the Old Testament that Jesus mentions. I'll read it out again, verse 14. uh, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, Numbers 21, you can go and read it uh, later on tonight if you want. There's this crazy story where God's people, the Israelites, had rebelled against God, they had sinned against him, and God wanted to show them that their sin wasn't good. So what he did was he actually allowed this plague of venomous snakes to come into the camp. And the snakes started biting people, and so people had this venomous, death-killing poison in their veins, and people were falling down and they were dying of this venom. And so God, because he was God who wants to give life, he said, this is what we'll do. Moses, I want you to get a brass serpent, a snake, put it up on a pole, and so anyone who is dying, if they look at that, they will be instantly healed. And that's what happened. It was amazing. These people had this kind of death running through their veins. And then if they looked at the one who had been lifted up, they were healed. They were saved from the death. And Jesus says in verse 4, In the same way, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that we, humanity, are like the Israelites. We have been bitten 
by this death plague called sin. It's running through our veins and it's alienated us from God. It's going to lead to eternal death unless we look and believe the one who has been lifted up. That's how we can be saved. Jesus says, if you want to be reborn, you have to do Look at the cross and believe. Look at Jesus dying on the cross and see that he has died there. He has died bearing my sin, bearing your sin, so that you can have life. He died in our place. Simply look and believe. And if you look and you do believe, then God has done a work in you by his Holy Spirit. Friends, the question is, what do you believe about the cross of Christ? When you think about the cross of Christ, Jesus dying on the cross for us, does that refresh you? Do you look at Jesus dying on the cross and say, wow, God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me? And does it also start rearranging you because you realise that it's our sin that put him there, so you start to hate sin because of what it does to Christ? Does it refresh you? Does it rearrange you? Friends, if you want to be born again, if you want to live this new life, look to the cross. Let it refresh you. Keep looking at him, lift it up, because that's how the Spirit will do his work. Let me pray. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who teaches us clearly about this life and the next and how we can have the hope of salvation and how our lives now can be transformed by your Holy Spirit. Father, we want to pray for ourselves, we want to pray for our university, that we would see many people, as, as we perhaps in our classrooms, as we in the SU, uphold Jesus as we proclaim him, died for our sins, risen for our hope. Father, we pray that by your spirit you would give life to many people so that they would believe, so that they would live this new life. In Jesus' name, amen.